Public Broadcasting. This is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Monday, December 7th, 2020. With Ukiah ER doctor, Dr. Drew Colfax and Alicia Bales. Since the pandemic began, Dr. Colfax has done regular live updates for KZYX listeners on the latest news and numbers and answered questions from callers. Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines, bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street, bad news on my car, bad news on my feet, bad news out of the bar, all over my clothes, under my hair. And good afternoon, this is Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax for the local coronavirus update today. Hey Drew. Hello Alicia. Look a little tired. (laughs) How was your weekend? Well, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good look. Yeah, thanks. It was, a, it was a, a, a working weekend, shall we say. Yeah, what happened? Oh, no, I've just been working, I think, nights continuously since last Wednesday's show. Ah. Uh, and frankly, I am tired. I'm tired of telling people they have COVID. I tell, I'm tired of telling people that they're doing worse with their COVID or that they need to be hospitalized with their COVID. Yeah, I think we're all, I think healthcare providers, along with everybody else, is just really starting to feel a lot of fatigue. Uh, and honestly, it's, you know, it's, it's getting worse. Uh, it really is getting quite a bit worse. I've experienced things over the last four, four or five nights in the ER that I've never experienced here before. Uh, we had an unprecedentedly large number of patients awaiting transfer for a, um, frankly, a really unacceptable length of time simply because hospitals don't have beds. Um, and so that that's real. That's happening right now, despite what you might be hearing from the statewide health statistics. Um, by way of illustration, um, our house supervisor, sort of, sort of the head nurse um, for the hospital, received a call Sunday morning, wanting to transfer center, wanting to transfer somebody to our hospital because we happen to have an ICU bed and a pulmonologist from over 400 miles away. So the way this works is when I transfer somebody out, I, I have my um, unit clerk or my secretary, I'll call the transfer center and I tell the I tell the person, I need a hospital that has this kind of a bed and this kind of specialty care. And then the transfer center starts searching to, with the closest hospitals, and they expand their network further and further away. Which means, in this case, that this transfer center from Southern California on the outskirts of the Mojave Desert reached all the way up to Ukiah trying to find an ICU bed with a pulmonologist. It's just that bad. Um, so it's... You know, this is really the time to hunker down, folks. It's it's getting really, real, really fast. And I, I'm afraid over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to really hit a major crunch. Did you end up taking the patient? Actually, not to get too much in the details of a particular patient's care, but no, um, because the family had, this is all at 2 o'clock in the morning, and the family hadn't been contacted to see if this intubated patient uh, was, you know, going to consent by proxy for a transfer from, you know, 400 and some miles away. Right, an eight-hour drive. Or it'd have to be a helicopter flight, yeah. Wow. Well, so I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you sound like you looked haggard, but wow, you've had a weekend. You've it's, had a week. It's been, you know, but still, you know, it's kind of like, you know, right after the Titanic hits the iceberg, they're still serving cocktails in the first class cabin and the piano's still playing. So it's actually quite 
calm and under control in the ER and in local ERs. There's not chaos. There aren't people dying in the hallways or anything like that yet. So you yes. really don't see the depth of the of the of the crunch um, unless you're trying to you know transfer people out and that's obviously a major concern in this tiny little county with tiny little hospitals and very small ICUs. All right. Well, we had a briefing on Friday uh, by the public health department, including um, representative from uh, Dr. Parker from mm-hmm. the Adventist Hospital System, and it sounded like while the state is looking at kind of a dire ICU situation with 14.2% capacity statewide available in ICU beds. Um, locally, and in, in the region that Mendocino County is part of, we're not quite that bad yet, but it sounds like the pressure is really on because of the, the rest of the state. Yeah, I, I mean, the numbers, everything's a little bit, you know, squishy, so to speak. Right. Um, and so, you know, we were basically full all, for the last five days in the Ukiah Hospital. We had, you know, one bed, and that bed would typically be filled up by 11 p.m. when, you know, so it's, we are very, very, very tight. And Parker might state that things are under control because they are, but the margins are thin, and we are on cracking ice at this point. Mm-hmm. All right, well, why don't we look at the numbers? Okay, so... We have added, since last Wednesday, 105 new COVID cases in the county of Mendocino. Uh, We are now up to 1,737 confirmed cases of COVID. We're averaging 23 a day, slightly over 23 per day. Um, Remember back when we had four cases for like a month that we were talking about? Anyway, we're averaging over 20 a day, 23 a day right now. Um, We've run 36,762 tests in the county and 1,477 are pending. Uh, We're still getting adequate testing. Um, The positivity rate is still edging up. We're at 4.4% positivity, which is worrisomely high. Um, We have approximately 400 people still in quarantine. This is still the longer quarantine. We have not yet promulgated um, the shortened CDC um, 7- to 10-day quarantine, but that's coming down the pike. California just issued guidelines for that, and Mendocino County is going to follow those probably by the end of this week, I would expect. Um, the trend line for Mendocino County over the last two weeks is actually fairly flat. We've been averaging, you know, 20 to 23 cases a day, and it's not climbing uh, radically. Sonoma County's climbing, and it will continue to probably climb pretty sharply because they're not really opting in with the Bay Area restrictions um, for reasons that are misguided at best. California, up 84% over two weeks. Uh, We had 29,000 cases in the state of California alone uh, in the last 24 hours. We were over 30,000 one day over the weekend. I forget which. Um, that's, those numbers are kind of the numbers that we're having nationwide back in April, May, and early September. So state of California that's is... That's right. Yeah. So we're in state of California is really racking up cases at the rate that the nation was um, back in the spring or early fall. Really just shocking numbers. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the death count is up 70% in the two over two weeks. Um, so over 100,000 new COVID cases in California. So you wonder why hospitals are filling up. You know, it's it's not it's not rocket science. We are, as you mentioned, uh, under 15% ICU capacity at this point. Over 10,000 people hospitalized in California with COVID right now. 
you know, California has one of the lowest um, per capita hospital bed rates in the country. And this country is actually quite low as well. So compared to European nations. So, you know, we in this for-profit, disjointed, disorganized uh, healthcare system that we have um, created, we operate with thin margins pre-pandemic, and it's just getting really tight. And that, you know, as as I stated at the top of the show, that's really starting to affect how we operate in the ER. Nationwide, uh, we are over 15 million COVID cases, um, over 283,000 dead, um, over 100,000 hospitalized nationwide right now. Um, Hospitalization rate is up 25% over two weeks, um, and deaths are up over 50% over the last two weeks. So we're, you know, things are, things are heading, unfortunately, in a in a worsening sort of way. I think it's going to continue through New Year's. Um, I just I don't see that reversing. We're going to see a surge over the course of the next week after the after the Thanksgiving misadventures play out. Um, then it'll probably remain fairly flat, and then we'll see another surge um, early in January after the holiday um, get-togethers play out. Uh, we are, um, I have heard on good authority, scheduled to get over 900 doses of vaccine in the county of Mendocino. Um, those are actually expected to get here sometime before Christmas. Um, and so those will be distributed most certainly to healthcare workers um, and high at risk um, congregate living individuals, um, particularly people who are living in elder homes. I am advocating that it should also be given to high-risk people who are in incarcerated, um, but whether public health follows my particular um, rant on that remains to be seen. There certainly is not a national consensus on that. Why would you advocate so strongly for that? Uh, because they live in a very congregate setting. Um, they that We have seen over and over again that there have been significant uh, outbreaks um, in, in jails and, and prisons uh, with fairly high mortality. So, you know, and the, and the population is not a terribly healthy population. The majority of people who are incarcerated have risk factors. Um, and so, you know, we, we <laughs> if we elect to keep so many people incarcerated in this country, we certainly owe them... Um, a vaccine. Also, they tend to, the, the those congregate living situations, jails and prisons, tend to be generators that also infect many more people in the community. Oh yeah, no, there was a there was a study um, out of Illinois that showed that the Cook County um, Jail, which is you know a city in of itself, really um, accounted for an astonishing large number of the community cases, um, the outbreak within Cook County Jail, and you know that would play out in a smaller fashion everywhere else. I mean, we're even seeing it here in this county where the jailers um, have COVID, uh, particularly in juvenile hall setting. But, you know, it's it's still just a very fraught um, yeah. setting. I was looking at um, some list of numbers of cases in jails across the country. I think I don't remember what paper, New York Times or somebody. And it was uh, California has four of the highest, at least four of the highest numbers of um, prison outbreaks. Yeah, well, I mean, San Quentin was huge um yeah. and there have been several you know there's the early one down this i forget which facility it was but in southern sacramento valley that was mm-hmm. also quite large and both of those led to a fair number of preventable deaths 
So that's where things stand here. Um, you know, there's not a lot of news otherwise, although just breaking um, this morning or sometime today while I was getting a little bit of sleep, um, it was revealed that our uh, fearless leader passed on the opportunity to buy more vaccines from Pfizer. Um, wait, wait, which fearless leader? Um, President Trump. Okay, not our, because I was watching the governor's briefing today no, as yeah, well. well so. I, I would hesitate to call Newsom a leader of any sort whatsoever. Ooh! Yeah. Okay. Um, but, um, yes, so the government had the opportunity to buy more than the 100 million doses from Pfizer and passed on it. So Pfizer, quite appropriately, sold their vaccine to other people, uh, other countries. So we, you know, we passed up. Nice. Yeah. So we'll have, you know, perhaps enough from Pfizer to vaccinate 50 million people um, by summer. That's good, but that's still a long ways off. Um, but the... You know, the, the number of vaccines that we need is really 330 million. Um, what was the thinking there, if any? I, 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 I can't speak to that. I, I, thinking in this administration's handling of the pandemic are words that not to go together. I hesitated to even ask. Yeah. All right. Any more? I think that's enough. Okay. Um, the only thing I wanted to mention from the governor's briefing, the fearless or otherwise uh, leader, uh, is that he mentioned that California is going to be launching an app uh, for people's smartphones called Cal Notify. Uh, and it's one of those things you can opt in and then it, it will tell you if you've been in proximity to somebody who's tested positive for COVID. So that's, you know, I know the rest of the world has things like this, but California's launching one. It's about time. I mean, that's that's been in discussion since, really, since February. Um, and you know, people are paranoid about their cell phones being tracked. But you know, that's that's a that's a wormhole that you really shouldn't. If you don't want to be tracked, don't carry your cell phone and don't drive a car after 1990. And don't um, talk near your cell, near yeah, your laptop. Yeah. So, but that, it, it would, it's a useful idea. Um, I'm not really sure, given our numbers, that's actually going to be helpful at this point any longer. We we just have too much COVID. Um, but yeah, it might allow people to have some measure of comfort if they go into, say, Walmart and go shopping and carry their phone with them and they come back out and they don't get a notification, then maybe you didn't come into contact with anybody with COVID. I don't know. We'll see if it has any impact. Yep. Okay. Well, shall we open up the phone lines? We may. We do have a couple of email questions. Oh, let's questions start with the email well. questions. Yep. Very good. Uh, so. Two-part question. Um, somebody emailed and wanted to know when they may be vaccinated. They are high-risk seventy-year-olds, so it's interesting. The, the New York Times, if you have an if you have uh, the capacity to go to the New York Times, uh, they actually have a little COVID line um, sort of calculator. Um, and they break down the entire population into 100 people. And, you know, you can sort of put in your age and your risk factors and your occupation, and they'll tell you where you are in that line. So somebody who's 70 and high risk would probably end up in the maybe eighth or ninth place in that line um, out of 100 places. Uh, when that trans how does that translate into vaccination? Eh, best guess, maybe late February, March um, would be my might be my ballpark on that. Um, I might be off by a month or even two, but that's kind of where I suspect we will have the vaccines for somebody in that category. It's a fun little app. I, of course, am the very first of that line. You're in first in line. Yeah. All right. What else? Um, oh, and the same person was asking whether I would advise for or against camping at this time, assuming masking, social distancing, hand washing, etc. 
yeah, I think that's a great idea. I, in fact, took my family camping um, last month, and it was lovely, and it is low risk, and it gets you outside. Um, so I, I certainly advocate for really any sort of outdoor, outdoor activity um, involving social dis- distancing and mask wearing. That's that's great. That's necessary. And seeing as we're rolling into our second year of drought here in Northern California, the weather is quite accommodating. It's quite warm out. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and open up the phone lines. It's 707-895-2448 here at KZYX. 707-895-2448 if you'd like to call and ask a question of Dr. Colfax. And let's take our first caller. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, hi. I want to check back in. I feel like last Wednesday I heard the good doctor say something about there being no contact tracing going on. Well, there's there's contact tracing. I'm not going to say there's no contact tracing. It's it's that the the numbers now are so high that uh, county public health's capacity to do a robust contact tracing is really quite restricted. Uh, and so, really, a lot of the contact tracing now involves the contact tracer reaching out to the COVID positive person and having that person reach out to their contacts and let them know that they need to um, quarantine. That's kind of where things stand. Unfortunately, it's it's really quite tight. And you know, we saw out of the city of Ukiah, um, officials there stating that they're simply overwhelmed with contact tracing. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's what happens when we have these sort of numbers. We don't have the staff, even eight months into this pandemic, to uh, contact trace out 23 new cases a day and then follow up with all those people on a daily basis. I mean, there are 400 people mm-hmm. in quarantine right now. That's a lot of phone calls every single day, and there's just not that money or that staff in this county to do that. Yep, Dr. Carlos talking about that on the the Friday update as yeah. well. They've scaled way back. So, so, are, so are those individuals that are calling up their contacts and saying, you better quarantine, are they given more than that? Like, you got to make some calls also? I, I, they're supposed to, but whether that actually happens or not, you know, is an open question. Um, and, you know, yeah. it's, it's also, you know, as we've seen... <laughs> persistently in this county, uh, it's really hitting the, the Latinx community, the Spanish-speaking community, disproportionately. It's still 70% um, in this county um, Latinx or sort of undeclared. And that, you know, that creates language barriers that makes contact tracing even more difficult. Yeah, I've noticed the only call that has gone out locally for contact tracers were, sp- were people that were fluent in Spanish, because I've kept my ears open for it just because Early on, I took an on co- online course from John Hopkins on how to do it, but I never saw, I, I looked around, I've searched around, I haven't seen any opportunities because it seems like something I could do from home with a good internet connection and a phone. Correct, you could, um, but it would require synchronization with the county and development of some sort of, you know, interactive. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No. And th- that, that, that. that just hasn't happened, you know, due to, you know, various resource limitations on everything. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yep. All right. Thanks a lot for the call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Yes, hi. Um, I have a couple of questions. Um, yes, so one of them is, um, oh, can you hear me? We can, yes. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, you know, I'm wondering what to do about our college-age son <clears throat> coming. He's crossing county lines um, for the holidays, and he's not unique. Should we think about uh, having him... or? Quarantine? I mean, these kids are going to be circulating across the nation. Yeah. That's the first question. 
Yes. So and, uh, if you stay on the air, I'll just take your questions one at a time. So, yes, um, if your college age son is going to come home, and I certainly understand the need for that to happen, um, the new CDC guidelines, which are going to hopefully go into force this week, but even if they don't, this is what I would recommend, um, is quarantine for seven days, get a test at uh, OptumServe at the end of those seven days or on the sixth day of those seven days, and then get retested a couple of days later. And then you can come out of quarantine, or he can come out of quarantine. But that's, you know, that's easy to say and somewhat hard to do. Not everybody has, you know, a house the size uh, that's necessary to allow a twenty-something-year-old you know, to hole up in a bedroom with a private bathroom and you know meal service. So, it's, right. you know, that's a luxury that few of us have. Well, and there's the other alternative, which is he lives in a group house. Why not have him stay in a it's a more urban area with a little more health care capacity? Do we make a hard choice and say stay where you've got uh, access to better health care services? Well, you know, frankly, if he's a college age individual without any sort of pre-existing conditions, um, the risk of his needing health care, even if he contracts COVID, is quite quite, quite low. Um, And so he doesn't really need to shelter close to a bigger hospital in any sort of functional sense. I would just be more concerned about his coming home and, you know, bringing an asymptomatic carrier and giving it to you. Um, And so that's, that's my greater risk. You know, whether you make the decision to pass on the holidays this year or not, you know, the safe thing is to say, stay where, stay put. And that's certainly um, what my family is doing, um, not because I'm particularly concerned about, you know, the risk to my children or even to me, but I certainly don't want to be part of further spread of this pandemic. So my second question, particularly to you as a, as a provider on the front lines, is what would you tell people to do? I mean, besides there's the masking, the PPE and all that, but for example, I just went and purchased an oxometer so we uh, so we could at least know our baseline for our, our blood oxygen. But do I need to basically do, do, think about this in a disaster preparedness state of mind where I can't take to, take for granted, you know, that the hospital will have space if either anybody in my family gets sick? I mean, what? Because it feels like we're upping the game here, that we have to be a lot more prepared in our own households to do better self-care, make sure we have aspirin. You know, what what are the guidelines that you and... You know, would suggest. So I would I would treat this kind of like fire preparedness. I would have a, a COVID bag, if you will, and certainly you know the the staples in your medicine cabinet should be ibuprofen and Tylenol and um, a thermometer, I guess. Although I've raised three kids without a thermometer, I, I'm not a big <laughs> a big believer in that need. I am a little bit skeptical about the need for everybody to go out and buy a pulse oximeter. I, I think that if you're sick, um, you need to come to medical attention, and you know if if you come to medical attention and then they advise that you go home and continue to check your pulse, that's fine, and it might, in that case, be nice to have one sitting in a box at home already. But that's that's a bit of an expense, and I just don't think everybody needs to go out and buy one. Um, otherwise, yes, you know, have some cash on hand, have, you know, a full tank of gas in your vehicle, um, have the meds at home, have um, some food in your freezer, and, you know, really minimize 
your exposure by limiting your trips out. I mean, this is really the time. This is kind of the time to replicate what we did back in March. Right, you it's re- what we practiced yeah, for, you, right? You really need to be hunkering down right now because this is going to be an extremely tight six weeks. And, you know, the vaccine is coming. There is light at the end of the tunnel. But everybody really just needs to just hunker down and get through the next month and a half to two months um, while this washes over us because it's not going away and we really don't have that many better treatments for it yet and you know there's there's I was in discussion yesterday with a healthcare provider and we we're talking about sort of the skepticism and the reluctance around getting the vaccine and the options are two you either get the vaccine or you get covid and it's not a close question. Um, you know, the, the vaccine, yes, it might make you feel cruddy for a day or two, but it's going to be extremely well vetted. It's going to be extremely safe. Um, and the risks associated with the vaccine are infinitely less than the risks, even to a low risk individual of contracting COVID. This is a nasty disease. You do not want it. All right. Caller, thanks so much for the question. You ready for another one? Sure. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, hi. Yeah, if my um, son and daughter-in-law come up from Los Angeles County, which is in a worse, way worse situation than we are, but they come up in an RV, get tested first, come up in an RV and quarantine for like seven days, could they come up? They, well, I mean, it, you know, everything involves risk. So right now, you know, Los Angeles is getting crushed by the virus. Um, you know, it's 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 worse than it is here per capita. Um, crushed. It, like 6% of their ICU beds are available. Yes. And frankly, the entire Inland Empire um, down there is just getting overwhelmed, which is why, you know, a hospital near the Mojave is trying to transfer somebody all the way up here. So, you know, if, if they did that, it would put others at risk. They're going to be driving. They're going to be going to gas stations they're going to be getting food on their way here and back no 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 in an rv they wouldn't okay well you know that's that's fairly safe um they would need to they would need to um i would recommend that they get tested there and here um and Uh be very diligent about um quarantining for seven days before coming into contact with anybody um up here just because they are coming from a higher risk area i you know that that scenario is not going to play out too terribly much, I don't think, um, just given you know sort of the resources that are available to most of us. But that type of activity, given um, those caveats, would be fairly low risk. All right. Thanks for the call, Colin. Okay, thank you. Let's take one more. Oops. Well, I guess that's going to be it. Um, oh, one more. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. One more. Hi. <clears throat> uh, Go ahead and turn your radio off, please. I was, hello? Hello. Oh, uh, I was out uh, this weekend, just little spurts to get some sunshine because it feels really good, and people without masks. Today, uh, I parked in the parking lot, and uh, two cars away, they were tailgating, eating their food. And I, had, I felt like I had to crack my window so I could breathe, but I didn't feel safe. Well, I, you know, I, I, I understand the frustration and, you know, frankly, the, the risk to you personally being outdoors with people who are unmasked is, is actually fairly low um, compared to any sort of indoor activity. It, yeah, that that continues to go on. It will continue to go on. There has not been coherent, consistent um 
you know, messaging around this. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate. But as long as you stay at least six feet away, and preferably double that while you're outdoors, even if the person is unmasked, your actual risk of contracting COVID from um, said unmasked people um, is quite, quite low indeed. You know what I saw today for the first time ever? I was getting my lunch and in the valley, and somebody had a mask on with their nose hanging out, and other people told them to cover their nose. Wow. And I did not see if the person did or not, but I was I was really just having a great time watching that happen. <laughs> yeah. So um, that was cool. It felt like a shift. Yeah, I, I, you know, we are, you know, slowly, unfortunately, most of us now know somebody who's had COVID. So yes, it's, it's true. it has now become tangible in a way that is... You know, encouraging further greater compliance. Um, but you know, I just don't want too many people to get COVID before we understand that this is real. Right, especially because we're almost to the place where people don't have to get it anymore. I know, right? We're almost—I I don't want to even say it—but we're almost through. We're almost to the point where people can get vaccinated. Yeah, it's going to be a while. I mean, to be sure, I'll—I'll I'll get a vaccine. I might even have two vaccines by the—you know—the first week of January, but how that translates into any sort of change in behavior it doesn't unfortunately because we need to get 70 probably 80 percent of americans vaccinated and that's not gonna happen till you know summer well it'll give us lots to talk about <laughs> and we will and we'll be back on wednesday with the local coronavirus update i'm alicia bales in the studio with dr drew colfax thanks for dragging yourself in here after oh, such a week of of late night shifts at the hospital. I'll be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.